Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined on the line later today by Brian Buck. Now, before we jump into this week's show, let's do a little recap of the week that was, shall we? Because needless to say, it has been an interesting seven to ten days, depending on when you're listening to this. And man, in 41 years, I can honestly say I've never seen anything like this. Bill, my business partner, who's a little bit older than me, claims he's never seen anything like this. You know, I'm, my next uh, next go-to is going to be my parents and just kind of figure out, you know, what they think, if they've seen anything like this in the past. But man, in the last week, well, when I recorded my intro for last week, I had mentioned we're keeping iFast open, which <laughs> immediately got the kibosh put on it because the state basically mandated that we need to shut down for a week. So my goal going into work today was, okay, hey, we were out for a week, but we're a small private training facility. We can keep ourselves under, you know, kind of this rule of 10 that they had set. And, you know, so we thought we had it figured out. And then Governor Holcomb at noon today basically announced that we need to shut down entirely for two weeks. So anything that's non-essential. So basically when it's all said and done, IFAST will have been locked down for about three weeks. I'm homeschooling my children between my wife and I. Um, That is interesting, to say the least. Last week, it was five days, which just about broke us. Luckily, uh, they geared the e-learning days back to three days per week instead of five. So it's a little bit more manageable, but still quite challenging when, you know, Jess and I both have jobs. And even though we're working more remotely now, it's quite difficult trying to handle two jobs plus two children all in the same house. And that really came to a head last week on Thursday. As you guys know, the the Finster, our new dog, uh, got invisible fence last week. So they were installing the fence and the jabronis cut our internet line. It's like, come on, fellas. Like it was clearly marked and they just sloppy job, didn't care, hacked over it. They're like, oh yeah, we'll fix it. We'll we'll, sit, we'll pay for the, the damage. We'll pay. And I was like, dude, you guys don't get it. We are all using the internet to work, to learn. Like this is like worst case scenario. The one thing you couldn't have done. I know that sounds so first world problems when I say it, but I mean, look, this is a, a legitimate issue that we are struggling with. Um, so yeah, I mean, it is just, there's been a lot going on. I mean, at the end of the day, here's, I think, the most frustrating point for me, man, I'm just, I'm kind of bored. You know, I need that intellectual um, stimulus every day and I'm trying to get it, but it's not kind of sorted. It's not organized. There's no routine. Um, I mean, like, let's be honest. I, I enjoy my job. Like I enjoy coaching my clients. I enjoy coaching my athletes. I enjoy working with my mentees online and my online training clients. Like I really get a lot of juice from doing what I do and the fact that that is interrupted and I don't have like this set routine to kind of go about my day and my business, man, I'm struggling a little bit. And I'm sure every one of you that's listening to this, um, that's been impacted by COVID-19 is in the same boat. So when I get all that out, and hopefully you don't mind me venting for a moment there, you know, when I, when I stop, myself for a second and you know I get all that off my chest and then I have to stop and I have to think you know but look number one first and absolutely foremost myself my wife my family 
my friends, my athletes, everybody that I know as of right now is healthy, right? That is the most important thing. And that's why we're going through all this crazy quarantine and lockdown and we're, you know, kind of just going cuckoo in our own little spaces right now. At the end of the day, everybody that I care about in my life is healthy. And that's the most important thing. You know, when it comes to the gym, did I have a plan going in today? Yes. Well, you know what? That plan got blown up. And I think this is what entrepreneurs thrive in. Maybe not all of us, but, you know, the ones that have been around long enough know, hey, man, you can't get comfortable in this game. Like things are always changing. So we had to pivot, you know, and we're pivoting how we run iFast for the next two weeks. You know, we've got Zoom rooms, so basically a virtual training hall for each one of our staff. They're going to go in and they're going to, you know, hopefully train our clients. They're going to, the client's going to be in the house. They're going to log into their Zoom room at their scheduled time and our coaches are going to work with them. You know, this is going to change, I think, how Bill and I create content online and it's going to, it's really kind of forced us to, to rally the troops and we're going to start working on more collaborative stuff. I mean, we already kind of had it in the woodworks, but now we're really serious about getting it out there and getting it out to the public. So I'm excited about that. It's given me an opportunity to create more content. It's something I've talked about for a long time, creating a daily video. Hey man, knock on wood, I think I'm like eight or nine days in right now, but I'm putting something out there every day, whether it's YouTube, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Instagram, there is new content and new video to be consumed on a daily basis. And it's given me time to spend with my kids. You know, is it the ideal time? Because look, no. And here's why. Because I think I thrive in a routine situation. So I need that little bit of work to to satisfy that part of my brain. And then I can go home and I can be an awesome dad. And so it's been a little bit more of a struggle here lately trying to figure out, okay, what's the ebb and flow here? How do I give them what they need while still checking the boxes that I need to keep the businesses working well, um, to make sure that I'm doing all the things that I need to do from a professional standpoint? But look, I am getting more time with my children, and that's amazing. So not many days you can get home at 2 o'clock and take the kids and the dog for a walk. Not many days that you can hang out at 1030 in the morning and build Legos with them and call it STEM class. You know, uh, not a lot of days when you can work at noon on an iMovie for your son's birthday, because that's what I do every year. I create like a short iMovie video of them that basically commemorates the, the last year of their life. And now that they're a little bit older, it's not just me. It's more of a collaborative process. So Cade was super jazzed yesterday. We got not only the Star Wars theme music, and I did like a little crawl, so it looks like a real Star Wars movie, but then when his music comes on and his pictures come on, it's the Imperial March, which is like his favorite song. So, you know, that's all it takes, I think, is when you get down, and we're all going to be there, right? Unless you are like just like a mutant with regards to your level of optimism, we're all going to be down. We're all going to struggle. It's normal. It's human. I try and remind myself of that every moment of every day that I am a human. I am not perfect. I am not built to be a thousand percent optimistic all the time. But when you get down, when you struggle, take a moment, pause, reflect, because every one of us has blessings in our life. We have things that we are still excited about, that we're still passionate about, and things that we can be grateful for. The fact that we get to wake up every day 
just not do anything else, the fact that we get to wake up and live our lives is a blessing. So my friend, I hope you're doing the best that you can in this situation. I'm going to do my best to, to keep it positive, to keep the momentum rolling, whether it's the podcast, whether it's you know the videos, the content is going to be there, things to keep you engaged mentally, you know, hopefully physically too, if I'm putting out some workout videos, things that are going to help keep you engaged and keep you motivated until we get through this. And my friend, trust me when I say we will get through this. So enough from me, quick break, and then we're going to jump into this awesome, awesome show with my guy, Brian. This episode of the Physical Preparation Podcast is brought to you by Momentus. For many years, I simply disregarded the age-old advice of getting liquid protein in either during or after workouts. Part of this was due to the fact that most had so much crap in them, I didn't want to put them in my body, and others might have been high quality, but tasted absolutely disgusting. However, if you're looking for a protein that's not only high quality, but also tastes amazing, you need to check out Momentus. I've been using Momentus for several months now, and I can tell you it's hands down the best tasting protein I've ever had. But it's not just me. I have numerous elite level athletes who are very picky with their protein powders, and every one of them raves about how great Momentus protein shakes taste. And while the taste is amazing, the best part about Momentus is that they're incredibly transparent with what goes into their product. You never have to worry about a tainted or dirty supplement, as all of their products are NSF and Informed Sports certified. If you'd like to try Momentus out for yourself, head over to livemomentus.com forward slash Robertson and use the code Robertson20 to save 20% off your first order. Or if you want to try before you buy, get a free three-pack sample sent to your house by using the Robertson sample code at checkout. Regardless of which option you choose, I guarantee once you try Momentous Protein Shakes, you'll never go back to anything else. Brian Buck has been with Sparta Science since 2017. Before coming to Sparta, Brian was a strength and conditioning coordinator for the Colorado Rockies, an SNC coach at the Boris Sports Training Institute, and has also been a Nike master trainer for eight years. Before entering the field, Brian was drafted and played in the St. Louis Cardinals organization as an outfielder. Brian holds a degree in kinesiology and business from Arizona State University and also has his CSCS, RSCC, and USAW certifications. In this show, Brian and I talk about how injuries derailed his playing career, yet fueled his passion and desire to learn and coach in our industry. We talk about the role of strength in sports and when we should focus our efforts elsewhere. We talk about return to play, including what we're doing well and how we can still continue to improve. And last but not least, Brian shares why the concept of doing less a lot better is so important to him. This was a really fun and engaging conversation, and I know you're going to love it. But enough for me. Let's do this. Brian, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Super excited to chat with you. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me on here, Mike. Um, This is an absolute honor. You know, I've been listening to the show for a long time, but just a little bit about myself. Really just a kid, you know, just born in the Pacific Northwest, playing sports, you know, rain or shine (laughs) up here. uh, You know, so just grew up a big sports fan and had an opportunity to go play college baseball in Southern California. And I went and did that and had an opportunity and, and played just well enough to have an opportunity to go and play at the next level. And went and chased a minor league dream, 
you know, for a few years and a few years of injuries. So learned a lot of things there. And, and from there went on to, you know, finish school and really get back into the field of sports performance and figure out how I could help people do things better than I did or not make the same mistakes that I did. I think like a lot of people in the industry, there's a lot of things that we wish we would have done better. And so that's kind of what's fueled me to be in the space today and, and work with a company called Sparta Science and getting to work with a lot of people like yourself and others that are, that are helping people along the way. I love it, man. So tell me what originally led you to the world of physical preparation and lifting weights and all the fun stuff that we do now? Yeah, I think I was always fascinated with training, you know, as a young kid, you know, the endorphins, the competition with your classmates, really. And then, you know, later in high school, kind of figuring out, you know, at that point, it was like, you know, I could have done anything to make me stronger. And it did. And it was kind of <laughs> like, this is this is pretty cool. This, you know, that this can happen. And, and I'm pretty sure this was around the same time that the Chicks Dig the Long Ball commercials came out as well. So <laughs> right. I guess you could say I was pretty motivated. No, honestly, what really led me into it again is, you know, facing multiple injuries during my pro career. Uh, they were really, you know, in my in my opinion, avoidable. And, you know, so going back and learn more about, you know, field of performance and, and health and performance and how we can do things better and how we can make better decisions. That's really what led me back into it and why I'm really still in it today. I got you. Would, would you mind sharing it all? What kind of injuries did you deal with? Just always something nagging me. And it was, you know, whether it was, it was a lot of soft tissue for me. It was always groins, hamstrings. I was a guy that I wasn't out there to hit tanks. I was like a guy that could, if I could just scrap to get on base, I'll let those big boys knock me in, you know? Right. So I was just a speed guy, an athlete, you know, if, if this guy could figure it out sometime, he might yeah. be something type, type of risk draft pick, you know? Right. So, but yeah, just always something that was going on. And then eventually it was actually Tommy John as a center fielder. Really? Um, yeah. So I really faced a lot of different types of injuries. And I think one thing that I, I struggled with was the, the rehab seemed to be very similar in a lot of the things I was doing, regardless of injury. You know, it was just, I just, I was always, I was always hurt. So something was always going on. And a lot of it was just because I was too trying to do too much at once. And I wasn't allowing adaptation or rest, you know, just being a young kid that didn't really know a whole lot better, I think. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So talk to me about you know, you've kind of figured out, all right, the baseball thing probably isn't going to work out for me. So walk me from then to where you're at now. What did your career path look like? Yeah, so it didn't work out for me. And that was a tough thing. I think my life was flipped upside down a little bit there. You know, I wasn't going to go to the cage every day and take some hacks. It was like, okay, what what now? Um, a really cool thing that I had in my contract with the St. Louis Cardinals at the time, actually, this really made my parents happy was actually just if I did end up going back to school that they would take care of that. Oh, that's cool. Um, which, was a, which was a cool risk to take, you know, as a young kid to go and chase the dream. And then if I had a backup plan. So luckily I had that backup plan, ended up going back to Arizona State and getting my degree there in kinesiology. And during that time, I did an internship as part of that at a place called Pro Advantage Training with a guy named Keith Wilson. He trained a lot of pro baseball players and he really let me hop right in and he kind of taught me along the way of, you know, why they were doing certain things. It wasn't what I wasn't. I didn't really care about the what at that point. It was like I was kind of the annoying intern of like, why? Why do we do this? 
you know, so after that, you know, internship there, he kind of asked me, he was like, what do you have planned? <laughs> what do you have planned after school? I was like, to be honest with you, I don't really have anything planned right now. And he asked me if I wanted an interview with, you know, the Los Angeles Angels, I guess then the Anaheim Angels. And I ended up getting that. I uh, was a paid intern for a year and then ended up getting a full-time gig the following season with the Colorado Rockies. And during that time, I basically was a strength coach at every level in the minor leagues and then ended up being the assistant strength and conditioning coach in the big leagues for the Colorado Rockies. So really interesting to see, you know, how, you know, deal with the athletes 162 games over the course of a year and that grind. And then was actually uh, my last year with the Rockies was the return to play coordinator. So we're really a whole different viewpoint of the physical prep side starting from square one all the guys that were hurt across the league i would get to work with them along with some of our pts and getting them back on to where they needed to be and then eventually left that position with the colorado rockies and went and worked for scott boris the baseball agent and the boris sports training institute in orange county that was for me a way that I could still work with baseball guys, which was my passion at that time, but not necessarily be in it every day and in that yes. in that grind. You know, I missed a lot of my friends' weddings, to be honest with you, over the course of several yeah. summers and little things in life. You know, when people ask me why I got out of the game, it was just a little bit more on the quality of life side that I wanted to, I felt that I was missing out on, I guess, so to speak. So went to Boris and, and enjoyed my time at Boris. And, and during that time, still spoke with a mentor of mine, a guy named Phil Wagner, who is the CEO of Sparta Science, that I learned a lot from my time with the Rockies because we consulted with Sparta at that point. And it just made sense to come up and, and be a part of what he's doing and what, what he's built up at Sparta Science. And that's where I've been for the last three years. Awesome. Well, that will kind of move us seamlessly into talking a little bit about what you're doing there. And I know Sparta is obviously well known for their evaluation and their assessment process and, you know, just the rigors that they kind of take these athletes through to help them better understand how their bodies work. So would you mind just giving my listeners an idea as to what that process looks like? Absolutely. And this is a big piece in in how we started to use it when I was with the Rockies. It really changed the way that I looked at training and adaptation and and kind of closing the feedback loop to kind of see what's working, what's not working. And I think, you know, no matter where you are, I think a big piece of the evaluation really depends on how you're being evaluated from the top, you know, is – you know, what are your KPIs and what are your goals? You know, if your goal as a strength coach is to improve the 1RM and increase 40 time, but you're being evaluated on injuries, they don't necessarily align. So I think first off, clarifying from the top, what is the goal of, you know, what's my job? What's my goal? And a lot of what we are looking at there and what we do as Sparta is we're really looking at these outcomes of injuries, you know, minutes played, time, you know, all that stuff that we can look at that we feel are valuable. So what we've looked at a lot and obviously performance plays into that. I'm not saying it doesn't. But so what we do, you know, if, if you know, people come into Sparta Science or organizations that we work with use our software, they do a few things. One of them, you know, we're we obviously are working with force plates and not everyone has force plates, but the organizations that we work with, they have them and they use our software database to better understand what they're seeing. So really what we do is a, is a jump on a force plate. And from that, we can evaluate, okay, what kind of mover are you? How, how do you sequence, you know, based off previous injury, 
you know, previous training history? How does that play into how you move now? And then how can we put a program together to really attack what we need to attack? You know, what can we stay away from that you already really excel at? Really, how can we maximize the couple hours we have a week with this individual based on their weaknesses? And so a lot of that we get from ground reaction force and the force plate. And then another couple of tests that we do, and these are more so along the lines of, of baselines for return to play and having objective metrics there is we do what we call a plank assessment and a balance assessment where we're really looking at, you know, stability, proprioceptive ability of each individual to have something to compare to if there should be a rehab process. I gotcha. Um, so really just a few things, a few tests, and then collect a lot of them and really understand what changes what and what we need to do to improve, you know, X, Y, or Z. No, I like that a lot. So, and you kind of already answered this, but I'm going to go ahead and ask it anyway. So if we want to take that a step further, how do you attempt to identify or determine if somebody is what you would determine to be as at risk? Yeah, I think, you know, first off, I've always been spoiled. You know, I had so much time with force plates and a, and a database to look at this. So I've always, and I and I realize this, I've been so spoiled to be, you know, have this stuff at my access and, and be able to look into a lot of this. But, you know, as far as what we're looking at, okay, you know, is it, you know, good force production? Is it bad? Is it, are there large discrepancies? And I think the first thing to note is that you really can't look at things in isolation. I think yes. a lot of people tend to get married to a specific variable or, or metric, yep. you know, they have to have, you know, this much eccentric rate of force. Like I love this metric. Well, it's not really just about that. It's there's <laughs> relationships with everything, you know? So having said that, you know, if you can produce a lot of eccentric force, but can you disperse it well? you know, over time, you know, if you can produce a ton of force and you can't absorb it or disperse it well over time, we can see some issues. At the same time, if you can't produce, you know, but barely any force and you swing kind of all by momentum, you know, we might see more ligamentous issues. And, you know, and we see this, especially in the female population and high ACL risk, um, just a lack of eccentric rate of force or whatever. So yep. it's not. So really looking more so at the relationship of a few metrics and overall efficiency of force production versus just I want to look at this metric and this metric because this is going to tell me if he's powerful or not. But really, how are they how do they work together? And again, at the end of the day, it's this is a feedback loop. This is feedback to help us understand better of what we're doing with these athletes on a daily basis. How are they adapting? You know, what can something tell me that I'm not necessarily seeing every day? So it's not it's not always black and white, good, right. bad, but relationships and, and how is what I'm doing impacting this? Yeah, no, I love that. And speaking of not black and white, I've got a, a simple but not necessarily easy question for you. How would you describe your training and coaching philosophy and how does the evaluation kind of kickstart that training process? Yeah, that is a great question. And it's really evolved over time, you know, honestly, you know, and I think there's other people that have had this experience as well of of starting out extremely basic, you know, solid movements, you know, good reps, you know, what have you. And you you can let that you can get away from that so easy, you know, the more you read, really wanting to dive into, okay, it's got to be this percentage. We got to do a dynamic day on this day. We really got to get you know, everything dialed in. If it's not 72%, it wasn't a good one or right. whatever it may be. Right. Right. So I, if, and it's funny, I think, you know, Eric Cressy has mentioned this in the past. If you don't look at your programming from like a couple years ago and somewhat embarrassed, 
you're not on the right path. Yeah. I look back at some of the stuff that I wrote for myself um, years ago and, you know, and it always was somehow what I was reading at the time influenced it. Some of it was just too much and trying to do, you know, trying to be too specific. And it's kind of come back to now just do less, a lot better. And I think that's really, that really is my philosophy now. And especially, you know, because I feel it now more myself as I get older, just do things really well. And you'll say, you know, you'll hear people say, do things savagely well. I think that's a good way to put it. I just want to do less and do it a lot better and keep consistency. I think that's really everything, consistency and quality of what I'm doing, as opposed to really trying to get these crazy details online because life's not so easy. And a lot of times there's some curveballs thrown at us. Yeah. I think a consistent theme that that I've found and that I've had in the show over the last couple of months is just this concept of, you know, we used to be so focused on the outcome and now we're so much more focused on the process, you yes. know, and like you said, doing the basics very, very well repeatedly over time like that. It's not sexy and it's not cool, but that's what gives you the biggest return on your investment. And it allows you to understand what's working and what's not. If you just do a few things, you're able to tell pretty quickly, you know, the impact it has on how you feel, how you move versus trying to do everything under the sun. And and then you don't really know, you know, what did what. And I was I've definitely been been in both camps. So, you know, I've I've learned from (laughs) from a lot of my own mistakes on myself. And and I've also learned a lot of good things as well along the way. But yeah, you got to try it to learn from it, I guess. Absolutely. So you've obviously spent a lot of time in the baseball realm. So I'm really interested in your thoughts here. How do you know or how do you attempt to determine when a baseball player is strong enough? Great question. I've talked about this with a lot of my friends, actually. This has been a combo. You know, if you look at the literature, too, it's always like, you know, is it two times body weight is strong enough, right? There's that one. There's, you know, Matt Ray came out with this article not too long ago where he talked about with his athletes or his population, he kind of found that 1.7 times body weight was like where the diminishing returns became like that. Once they got Mm -hmm. to 1.7, they didn't get any faster. Okay. Right. So it was like, okay, he's going to focus on something else. I think there are ways to understand if a player is strong enough, and I'm not that smart a guy, but if you, you know, obviously if if you have a database or software, that's great. Again, I've been spoiled and had access to a lot of that to understand, but even if you don't, if you had nothing at all, you can look at the norms within your population or your team and kind of understand, okay, what's an average here and, and where are my outliers? So if you had nothing at all, as long as you're looking at the workout cards that you have, you can kind of tell where people are at or when their relative strength is too low. But it's weird, too, because I've, I mean, I've had I was talking with a, a guy I work with now. We used to work together at Boris Sports Training and we were having this conversation. We have a guy that throw 101 mile an hour and can barely deadlift 255, <laughs> you know, and it's like, right. well, what where, what is this threshold that we're searching for? What's right. this magic number? Right. I think it always comes back to are they efficient and are they lasting? You know, is their ability to go late into games there? Are they, if they are loading a lot of weight on, we have other guys that we would talk about too that are loading, you know, 450 on a squat. And as long as they're doing it cleanly and nothing is really failing, I'll say I think it's good. I think at what point do you want to, you know, really test the limits and what's the risk and reward on some of it? It's just, 
you can have this conversation a lot of ways. I think as long as they're an efficient mover and they continue to make it through their sport or skill set at the end of the day with good results, I think, you know, that you're probably doing something along the line that's you're doing pretty well. When guys start to to get tired easy and they're losing that efficiency and they're kind of banking on some some poor movement patterns, there might be, you know, we really got to address that. But in the end of the day, if you can have any kind of normative data Yep. Or collect that to understand when somebody is pretty low amongst their peers or their sport. I think that's a good place to start in understanding how strong is strong enough. I love it. It's something that, you know, I know I've talked about I've talked about it with Eric before, but I know Bill and I have had this discussion because we get a decent amount of, you know, high school, definitely a lot of collegiate. We get a handful of pro baseball guys that come into iFast and, you know, we don't see it so much with the pro guys, but you see it over the course of, say, a college career. You know, you got a young kid, kind of thin, kind of frail. And so they see those performance gains for a year or two, right? They're on yeah. that D1 strength program. But yeah. then year three and four, you start to see a decrement in their performance. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things that we tend to find is you get to a point where your force output and everything is getting better and better and you haven't sacrificed your rotation yet to now you've crossed this threshold from athlete into more like power lifter, mm-hmm. you know, and you start to mm-hmm. give up that, like you said, efficient movement. We, we would just say if they lost their rotation and when you start to see that, it's like, okay, now yeah. maybe we need to like figure out, is this something we need to continue to push? Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. And I think, and it's easy too. It really just depends on how much time you have with the individual. If you, if you only got a couple months in the off season or whatever. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that strength work is going to be necessary. Absolutely. They got, you got to have it. And you've got, if you got a longer time with them or a longer off season, you really need to be a little bit more creative with what you're looking at. And again, I think, yeah, we want the, we want to know how strong is too strong or some data points, but if you're not looking at the data you're collecting from your training every week, you know, and you're just searching for more tech or more data out on the outside of that, you're missing the boat. There's a lot you can tell from your training card and looking back from the last couple of weeks of where they're at and where they're going. And and if it's actually improving things that matter to them, like doing their sport better or velo or, or speed times, whatever it may be. Absolutely. I love it, man. So on an email exchange before the show, we talked a little bit about how data changes the way that you coach. And perhaps more importantly, how athletes respond. So I'd love for you to elaborate on that just a little bit. Yeah, I I can speak from my own personal experience, you know, and and being a strength coach too, it's it's so much. It can be really repetitive at times to where you lose focus of the little things that count and you're just going through the reps and you're going through, and, and this is, this may not be for everyone, but I know I had this experience, but the data helped me to understand the intent a little bit more. For example, if we're looking at something like eccentric rate of force again, a lot of times that has to do with strength. If they're not very strong, they don't produce a lot of eccentric rate of force. At other times, it's not strength. They may be able to squat the house and but show little eccentric rate of force. And a lot of times it comes back to a sequencing issue, right? Mm-hmm. So it's now it's like, yes, okay, this data data is helpful to me, but as an expert or as a coach, I need to dissect why 
this number is low. Is it really because they're not strong or is it because, you know, they got really, really stiff ankles or bad knees and they try and hinge everything. So they just right. don't, you know, right. So it, it really, as a coach, it helps me pinpoint how I want to coach certain movements, like a squat pattern. Okay. If they're hinging it all the time, they're showing low eccentric greater force. Let's make them keep that vertical torso. Let's really make them, you know, go up and down to force that front side flexion and, and get some of that, you know, dorsiflexion in that ankle, whatever it may be, right? So right, this right. is just an example of like, it's not so much the exercise or the squat, but it's really how are they doing it and where do they tend to compensate? And then how can I get them out of those positions or get them out of their comfort zone in that training session, which really helped to sequence better. And at the end of the day, I think stay healthier over time. So not only for as a coach, does that help you or did it help myself look at movements differently and not allowing my athletes to compensate in certain ways? But as a athlete, I mean, we, there's research on this, you know, when they get feedback versus not getting feedback and in, in the results in that. But I want to know if what I'm doing is actually improving what we're trying to improve. You know, what's the intent right. here? And and then obviously at the end of the day, it's it's celebrating those those small victories and and enjoying when you're seeing an outcome that you wanted to see or seeing an improvement somewhere that you want to see. And at the end of the day, is the athlete enjoying it one and two moving better? And those are the little things that I think that the data help really bring to the forefront and and look at as you know as opposed to just hey your squat got better. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, that's fascinating stuff. And something I'm interested in now is like if we can kind of come back to the evaluation process. So you've got all these great quantitative tests with the force plates and the jumps and all that. How do you integrate the qualitative aspect to that? Like while you're looking at that, are you making notes on how they execute the test or videoing it? Like how do you kind of merge yeah. those two worlds? Yeah, you just watch them. You watch them. And this was like when I first started seeing some of the data – I would eventually see how they compensated, whether it was specific movements with me in the gym or on the field. And it was tying those two together. Like, yes. for example, you know, like it just it's you know, like, again, we talk about low eccentric rate of force and how that athlete is going to hinge and be more of a, you know, a hinge guy because they yep. avoid patterns that hurt them. Right. So it's yep. just. It's really like, you know, a lot of people like to video it and look at the objective data, too. I think that's fine. I think it after you kind of understand the, da the data a little bit, and, I, and it took me a while. I had some time around it, but I got to really see it play out in their sport and, you know, in, you know, the movement portions of what we were doing as trend coaches. It really ties together. And once that kind of clicks, that's when you can kind of tie some of that stuff together. So that's a good question. That's cool. I like that. Okay, this one should be fun. Return to play, what are we doing right, and where do we need to improve? Oh, return to play is fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think what we're doing right, I think, and I can speak on this being in team sports early on in my career, it was so siloed in the sense of trainings or, or athletic trainings over here and, and the meatheads over there, right? Yep. Is yep. That's kind of how it's often siloed. So I can say now... And, you know, I've been lucky and fortunate in my 
and my job to travel around and work with some different organizations, I think that's getting better. I think it's getting better. The communication is better, you know, so across, across departments, there's better conversations and there's more data getting used, which creates kind of a common language, you know, so I think that's better when it wasn't so five years ago, even. So I think there's better conversations now, but you know, I think where we can improve it is using is using data more. I think so much of the rehab process is subjective, and a lot of it should be. But I think a lot of it we can use. You know, whatever tool we have, that we have healthy metrics on an individual. You know, let's refer to those and let's use them more. If we're going to test somebody, let's not just do it once or twice a year and then throw it in a drawer. Let's keep let's you know let's keep that piece of paper out or let's keep that out and let's do it more frequently to see where they compare to that, you know, when they are on their return to play process, whatever. So I think we could do better at using more metrics and more frequently during the rehab process, really more so than anything to validate the job that you're doing every day. Then also pull the reins when we're not seeing what we thought we would and having that vulnerability to say, hey, maybe this, we need more time, right? It's not always, you don't always get better. That's just the facts. (laughs) And then I think another area we can improve in return to play or rehab is is weighing too, you know, weighing asymmetries too highly. I think that they are inevitable. I think across sports, we're going to have them. That is a fact. And I think that we, as an industry, think that we want to correct them too frequently when it's not necessarily something that's needed, at least from the research. It's very unclear if that's needed. I think a lot of these sports we've been doing, I mean, a lot of these kids have been specializing from a young, young age. There's going to be natural asymmetry. So I think always thinking that we need to get in there and fix them, quote unquote, or improve them is not necessarily the truth. So I think that we weigh those too highly, in my opinion. And then I think where we could also get better at too is, and we are getting there, but it's continuing to train when hurt. I think that, I love that one. you know, you know, again, there used to be that silo where, where you, the meatheads will, will get him <laughs> when we're done with him over here. Right. You know, and that, that's changed a little bit. Now it's okay. Let's still do stuff, you know, albeit it might be very limited range of motion, but let's continue to, to groove these patterns and keep, you know, the work capacity up at least to an extent. And, you know, there is going to be some minor pain in return to play. It's not going to be just, you know, a breeze. But you know, I think a good way to look at pain is if it is it a three out of 10 or less. And let's keep going with this because there's going to be some minor, minor pain. And I don't like to say it's OK to do anything with pain. But there also is a point where you kind of need some stimulus to provide some of that, you know, healing. Yeah. Um, and I think that it speeds it up. And if anything, so there's a fine line there of like too much pain, but I think a three out of 10 is a good, a good place to stay at or under, but continue to move and continue to train as much as you can in a safe manner to really keep that work capacity up and, and improve this recovery time. Yeah. Great, great points. And I want to circle back to one thing that you had mentioned. I'd written down the, the power of normative data. And it reminds me of, Years ago, I was out in Seattle. Dave Tinney was with the Sounders, and I don't think he'd mind me saying this now because it's common knowledge, but he was rehabbing Clint Dempsey, who at the Uh time, men's national team player, one of the highest paid guys in the league. He was coming off a hamstring pull. And so the whole team's over there practicing, and Clint's doing sprints, and Dave watches him do one, and he looks at something, you know, his GPS or whatever, his, his laptop, and he says he's ready to play. I said, 
why do you say that? He's like, he just ran at 102% of his max speed. I said, Love oh, that. Okay. Well, now we know, right? Because he had that normative data. And here Clint is running as fast as they'd ever clocked him. In this case, faster with no side effects, no symptoms. And he put him back out there. So I just love that story because it just shows how important having that normative data is. He can say very clearly, he just ran faster than he ever has for us. He's ready to play soccer again. Absolutely. And that's a great point. And that the normative data is huge. It really, it really is. And I think especially in late stage return to play, you are ramping up volume now to a point that they may not be ready for it. So looking at just strength by itself and isolation is one thing. But as you continue to ramp that volume up in late return to play, if they can't maintain it, you know, over a period of time, they're not, they're just, their body's not adapting to it yet and they're not recovered. And that's going to put them at a higher likelihood to re-injure. So really looking at, can they keep, you know, can they stay at this threshold late in that return to play? And if they can, okay, then it's maybe then, okay, back into competition, but you know, just doing it once or touching it once and not being able to repeat it because your body can't handle that load yet. I think that's valuable to look at. And again, referring to that normative data. Yeah, fantastic stuff, man. All right, my guy, big question time. If you could alter the space-time continuum and give young Brian Buck one piece of advice about training and or life, what would it be? <laughs> uh, he didn't listen very well. <laughs> yeah, I go- <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling. <laughs> if I could go back, it would it would be, again, I think really my mentality and philosophy now, do less, better. I think I always had this mentality of no one is going to outwork me. And that was part of what made me good, but it was a a blessing and a curse. Do less, better. And it's okay to, to miss a day. It's okay to relax and let some adaptation occur to clarify, you know, just get your mind right and not always push so hard. And that's one thing I I have to tell guys, you know, younger guys now is, you know, hey, listen to yourself a little bit. Listen to your body. If you are absolutely crushed, maybe a day would help. Now, that doesn't mean a day of doing nothing, but something to stimulate some recovery, some adaptation to feel better. So if I could go back, it would just be to slow down a little bit, take more time, do things better, but do less better. I like that. I like that a lot, man. All right. Last but not least, we've got the lightning round. So four fairly short questions. Your answers can be as short or as long as you'd like. All right. Yeah. Number one, you had quite a baseball career, man. I know a lot of guys that would love to have gotten to that level. So do you have a career highlight that stands out to you? Honestly, I I wish I had like a happy Gilmore moment. Like I was the only guy to take my skate off and try and stab someone, you know, (laughs) something cool cool like that, you know, and I wish I had more to share from my professional career, but really the highlight of my baseball career was my last season in college and winning the conference title with guys that I still consider my brothers, you know, to this day. So my, my baseball career, I think if I could look back at one season, it was definitely the time with those guys in Santa Barbara and, you know, the relationships built there. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Okay, number two, bro, talk to me about the hair game, my guy. I mean, it is on point. <laughs> that's funny. You know what? I, I tend to do whatever makes the wife happy. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. You know? That's fair. And so we're actually recently married, got married in November. Congrats. And uh Thank you. I'm way over my skis. But she was like, hey, let's 
just grow it out so that you can always look back and be like, man, the lettuce I had, you know, that that time it was on point. So, but at the end, at the end of the day, now I whatever keeps her happy and what she likes, that's what I do. Dude, that's that's part of what started the beard, man. It's it's mostly gone now. It's very much trimmed up, but yeah, I remember it. I remember yeah. it. Yeah, my wife was just like, you've never done this in the time that I've known you. So I'm like, all right, let's go, let's oh, go. Right. Didn't I didn't get to like full like major league playoff beard status but for me four months was a pretty good run so we'll see did, did you purchase beard oil because that's oh, the yeah. next step no i do have beard oil okay i had then to you were somewhat serious no i had beard oil i had the comb man it just it's just so bushy it would never lay down and <laughs> and and i can only be sold the dream of hey it's just got to get a little bit longer and then it'll lay down like four months <laughs> in if it's not laying down that's just the way my hair is so Oh, I hear you. Mine doesn't look too good when it's all when it gets out that length either. So it's just, hey, you got to know your strengths. You yeah, know? It, that's it's, right. It's for some people, it's not for everybody. <laughs> okay, man. <laughs> Number three, what was one of your biggest takeaways from working in pro baseball? You know, that's a time in my life that I'll always value and, and look back on proudly. I think. I think, but it really it comes down to you, you're looking at the grind of a season. We talked about earlier 162 games over the course of a season. I think what I learned best is just managing managing guys day to day and really breaking it up into smaller segments. Whether that be you know setting smaller goals throughout the season, training wise, you know whether it's something stupid that, that makes us both laugh. You know it, it's. Managing people day to day and remembering that there's so much more to what we do than what happens in that weight room or between the lines. I think yeah. so much of it, and, and you can attest to this, is the relationships that you build throughout the, that time and and getting to know guys better. So honestly, it's just kind of corny, but honestly, it's just managing people day to day and the relationships of being around people that often. Because when you're around guys every day over the course of the year, you are going to see them at their worst. You're going to see them at their best and everywhere in between. So being able to manage that, not get too high, not get too low, really, I think, applies to anything you do outside of sports or baseball or whatever, just having an understanding and some feel there. That's awesome, man. I love that. Okay. Number four, last but not least, what's next for Brian Buck? What are you working on? What are you excited about? Anything? Honestly, I, you know, what's next? I wish I had like, hey, you know, I'm dropping this mixtape or, <laughs> or or I have a book that's been in the works and I don't yet. But really, it's continuing to grow. I think what we're building, you know, not only as part of science, but really I'm I have to take a step back sometimes and just look at how fortunate I am to do what I do and speak with the people I get to speak with. It really just keeps getting better. So like when I look down, you know, hey, what's next? What am I doing? It's just continuing to grow and learn from others in this industry, whether that's sports, military, you know, health, you name it, really kind of broaden my horizons and, and continue to keep my eyes open and, and learn from people that are a lot smarter than me. So I'm I'm very lucky to do what I do and I don't take that for granted. So just keep going down the path I'm going and I think uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I love it, man. Well, Brian, you've been awesome to chat with today, my guy. Where can my listeners find out more about you and what you got going on? Yeah. And likewise, no, this has been a lot of fun. So I guess from a company standpoint and, and the mission that we're on right now, spartascience.com for more information there. And then, you know, 
I'm not the best poster or anything like that, but Twitter and Instagram, just Brian Buck Six. I think Twitter's fun. You get a lot into more the research and, and what people are doing. I love that. And Instagram's a little bit more of my personal life, but I'm, I'm open to sharing things. And I love, again, learning from others and what other people are doing that are a lot cooler and smarter than me. So <laughs> I love it, man. Well, Brian, thanks again for coming on, buddy. This was really great. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And again, honored to be on the show and I appreciate you, Mike. All right, my friends, that does it for this week's episode with Brian. Sincerely hope you enjoyed it. He is a very smooth, very polished speaker. I was very impressed and man, actually tried to take a lot of notes as we went through because I think he's got some great ideas, some great concepts, and I know you're definitely going to be hearing a lot from Brian going forward. So as always, small ask for you if you're so kind. One of two things. Number one, if you're not already subscribed to the show, Take two seconds out of your day. You can do it through iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. I think Google Play has it now, probably Spotify. The podcast is everywhere. So wherever you like to consume your podcast, if you could take two seconds and subscribe, I would greatly appreciate it. Number two, if you are already a subscriber, thank you. If you would take maybe a minute or two out of your day, go to iTunes, rate and review the show. Let me know what you like. Any feedback is welcome, and perhaps most importantly, when you rank and when you review the shows, it drives up how many people actually see the episodes. More of that, more feedback, just drives more and more people to the show, and ultimately, I think, is going to help push our industry forward, because if you've listened to this show for a week or the last four-plus years that we've been doing it, I'd like to think we're putting out great content and we're helping trainers, coaches, and athletes get the absolute most out of their bodies. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care.